0: I believe that when your focus is on creating beautiful homes for everyone else, you should start with your own. It seems a bit counterproductive creating beautiful spaces for other families to live in and then going home to live in something that's less than desirable. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello. Hello, everyone. So it's that time of week again, and I am experimenting with new plan. So what I want to do, I'm going back to basics in terms of core principles. And so what I'm planning to do is to cover some of the foundation topics in this session on a Thursday. And today we're going to be starting with renovating your own home, your principal place of residence without overcapitalizing. So basically what we're doing is really attacking the strategies that we helpful when you are on a journey to improving your life with renovating. So here we go. So the first thing is, so why would you choose to renovate your own home? Spend money on that. Rather than any other project. And there's some really compelling reasons. So the first one is I believe that when you your focus is on creating beautiful homes for everyone else, you should start with your own. It seems a bit counterproductive creating beautiful spaces for other families to live in and then going home to live in something that's less than desirable. The second reason, so it improves your quality of life. It also improves your asset base provide you do a smart and that's what my focus is going to be today but and it also creates a base from which you can leverage to do other projects and so I've been renovating for over 30 years and it has been what we the basis on which we have done like lots of projects and so this equity can be used in other ways. But the important thing with your own home is that often when it's your family home, your decisions are coloured by emotion. And the tendency to overspend is really, really strong. Now, I personally think it's okay to spend more on your own home because it's going to be something that you live in and you're going to live in for a long time. But I do also think that you need to make sure that you are actually creating equity rather than just spending money that you're not going to recover. So that's what I'm going to be talking about, those principles. And the other thing it's really important to remember is, so there's a lot of conjecture about whether the family home is an asset. And I absolutely know that it is and it should be treated as such because for most Australians it's, it represents the most of their wealth and you hold it for a long time. The average client want to hold their family home is seven years. And so you can build a lot of wealth organically, provided that you're careful about what you spend on it. Okay, so let's start. So what we're going to do is walk through the process of renovating your family home to reduce the risk of capitalising. So let's first, first start talking about putting together your inspiration, and figuring out what you're going to do with it. And it's really important that you spend a decent amount of time doing that because your ideas change and they evolve. And if you get stuck into renovating uh, first up, then you will find that you are pulling out things that you've already done and redoing them under the new plan. So take your time with this. Don't rush into it. And so then, and in terms of finding inspiration, of course, there's Pinterest and House and House and Instagram, but also hotels, new hotels, display villages, new developments, apartment developments, will give you lots of ideas and inspiration for creating a home that's really on trend and beautiful. So once you've got that, you want to create a wish list of inclusions and finishes, and also roughly decide on your scope. So don't, this isn't going to be set in stone by any stretch of the imagination, but start thinking about what the scope will be. Do Are you going to have to do additions? Are you reworking the floor plan inside the current building envelope? You might be adding a floor. What is it that you want to do and what are the problems that you want to solve? So is it usually the property is too small or the functionality is limited? So what is it that you want to solve? And it's really important to go into a period of research before you actually make any moves in terms of executing your plan. And so the first thing to do is to go to council and find out what you can and can't do. Check any past DA applications or planning applications for renovations that any previous owners might have done. And also find out the process for if you want to do additions. do you have to submit a planning application or a DA, or can you just do it under a more streamlined process? In New South Wales, it's called a CDC, Complying Development Certificate. In Victoria, it's a different process. And in Queensland, it's a different process again. So the best course of action is to go to council, talk to them about what you to do and get an understanding of what requires approval or not and what doesn't what you can do without approval some of the things that you might want to talk about is whether you're going to be changing the roof line whether you're going to be changing the facade so those things do feed into the need to have council approval or not sometimes so just be careful about that so the next step in your research is to get a local real estate agent to come and have a look at your house and to give you feedback on the firstly, do an appraisal, and secondly, give you feedback on the things that you're planning to do, whether they're going to add value or not. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't do them because I things like swimming pools rarely add value. You're doing well if you cover the cost of the swimming pool. But it's a lifestyle decision and it's a quality of life thing. So it's important not to get too, what's the word, frugal. You want to make sure that you're providing yourself with the quality of life that you want to achieve from the renovation. But it is it is also important that you have your eyes wide open where that's concerned. So talk through with an angel you trust what you're planning to do, and whether that's likely to add value or not. Now, it's really important to know that with an agent, listings, they're sort of like crack to a drug addict, okay? So that's they live and breathe getting listings. So if you find your agent saying to you, you're better to just sell a house and go and buy something else. I would be very wary of that. I would certainly be getting a few more opinions before I went down the path of selling the home rather than renovating. There are not many instances where that is the best course of action. But yeah, so just be mindful of the fact that real estate agents do tend to say, many do say, no, don't renovate, just sell because yeah, lots of reasons. Often they'll tell renovators, oh, the new person will have their own idea and what they need and this sort of thing. In most cases, it's the agent wanting to secure a listing. So just be mindful of that. After you've done that, then start going to some open inspections of renovated properties and get an understanding of what things actually buyers like in your area and what they will pay for. And from that, you should be able to figure out if you add a You know, if you do your renovation, what your completed renovated property will be worth. You want to try and work out the value of the renovated property because from that you can get your budget and that will help you to keep your property on track or your renovation on track. Important to note that I will be producing a checklist to go with this. That will be in the podcast show notes. So a little sort of cheat sheet to remind you of all the things that you need to do if you're considering a renovation of your principal place of residence. I should have added in the beginning, another reason why you would do a reno on your principal place of residence is because the profit margin or the profit on that, is usually tax-free. And so that comes into play when, let's say, you're downsizing or you have to relocate or any reason that you might be thinking that you might need to sell your family home, think about renovating first because you can easily add 100, 200, even 500,000 if you think far enough ahead of time and do the right renovation. Okay, so once you've determined what the completed renovation value that renovated value of the property is from that margin between what it's worth now which you got from your appraisal with the agent and what it's likely to be worth which you deduce from your open inspections a research going to open inspections then you should be able to work out what the margin is and it should be a minimum of 30 percent of the value of the property okay and so then you want to work out how much of that you're willing to commit to the renovation so you might decide okay so if i add if i commit 10% to the renovation then i'm adding 20% value on the property which is value that i can access and do other things or just improve your asset base so and once you've determined and you know like you might need to add you might need, find that, the, that it's going to double the value of the property, in which case you might commit 30, 40, even 50% of the value of the property depending on where it is and so on. So key thing is doing that research and understanding the numbers. Okay, so you've determined your budget. And of course, the next thing is to get finance for that if you don't have that. And that's a conversation with a broker to finance the renovation. But once you've got the finance, then the next step is in the design phase of the renovation. So you've got all your inspiration, your mood boards, your, yeah, your design ideas. Now you want to go and firstly, get a concept done. Now, it's really important when you, you're thinking about serious renovations to your home when you need a builder and so on, that you own the plans. Because if you don't own the plans, then you are committed to a builder before you even um, get their price, okay? So you want to make sure that you've got full control over the design of the property. Now, I would suggest you get a concept done first, which is just a sketch floor plan to really rough out how the floor plan is going to work. And as you probably know and you may not know that it's possible to do that, we we have a access to our architect, David, who's also our son, who does concepts for around about $500. And that's a really good thing because then you can take that, you can have him do the whole thing or you can take it to a draftsman. So there's a big difference between an architect and a draftsman. Now, an architect generally spends about six years learning the concepts of, you know, how to work with space and light to produce something that is functional and is also beautiful and really maximises the potential of the home. A draftsman is trained in technical drawing, okay, so they actually draw the plans. Now some will pick up design tips and ideas along the way and will be able to make useful suggestions to you But if you want a truly quality design, that few hundred dollars spent on the design concept is worth its weight in gold. So I would strongly recommend you do that. And then, of course, if you're going to be getting, if you need to get planning approval, which is a DA or a planning certificate, then you'll need, there is two stages to the process. So the first stage is the overall concept, which does need architectural drawings, but they're not overly detailed. But then the second stage where you need a construction or a building certificate, depending on what state you're in, that's where you need the detailed drawings in order to get that second part of the approval. And, of course, if you're going for the streamline like CDC, Queensland has a few versions of it as well, and in, in Victoria it's just called a building certificate, then that all goes in one lot and it's quite quick. So it's there's not that two-step process. Sorry if I'm sort of rambling a bit. It's um, a bit complex. So once you've got your concept or your full plans, The next step is to think about the scope of the reno and how you're going to manage that with the builder. There will be elements of that renovation that the builder must do and there will be elements that you can have done through trades. So that's probably something that you should broach with council as well when you're doing your initial research. But I I think there's probably two main ways that you can do this. You could have the builder do the whole lot from woe to go landscaping the works, or you can have the builder do to lock up and then you can take over managing the finishing trades to do the tiling, the painting, the kitchen, all those things. Now, for a renovator, someone who's trained in renovating, I would suggest probably the second way because it will save you a lot of money. So basically the builder does the structural changes and gets the property to a stage where the walls are sheeted, the ceilings are in and the doors and windows are in and it's it's locked up. And then you can have your finishing trades, your tilers, your well, not just finishing trades, actually, plumbers and electricians as well to complete the renovation. Now, that's a way of saving significant costs. But just one warning on that, you want to make sure that the plumber and the electrician that is used in the second stage is the same person that's used in the first. Because if you have someone coming and doing rough in and then someone else coming and doing the finishing off, you will find it's a disaster because when the plumber is roughing in or the electrician, if they're not the person finishing it off, they're not really going to worry too much about the making sure that it's going to work out and that things will align after the sheeting's up and you can't see and you can often end up with things that don't work in plumbing and wiring. So make sure that's the same person so they're taking responsibility right through to the end. Okay, so once you've made that decision, then the next step is to engage your builder for the extent of work that the builder is going to be doing. Now, if you are bringing a builder in to do the whole project, then you don't need to worry about scopes of work, anything like that. You just need to have your plans and you need to have a really clear I guess, description of how you want that project to end up in terms of finishes, in terms of quality and so on. And so then you go through the tender process and that's a matter of bringing two or three or even five builders or trades, whichever way you're going, and having them, quote, on the job. I'm not going to go too much into that process because that's a whole episode on its own and I'm sure I've done lots of content around that, but just one that it's important to get at least three quotes. That will also give you a lot of insight into ideas about how you can get how it can work better, ideas on buildability techniques for getting the outcome you want in the most time-effective and cost-effective way. And once you have engaged your builder or made a decision about the builder, there's a cup. There's a process for how things go from here. Now, first thing to do is to make sure you understand your state's laws on homeowners' warranty or it's home building insurance. It's got a whole lot of different names. In New South Wales, it is called home building compensation scheme okay and so new south wales for an example you do need to have that in place that policy in place if the building work is over 20000 now that can apply for lot to lots of things it can apply to kitchens and so on. So any contract that's over 20,000 in New South Wales requires home building compensation fund. Now it's different in other states, in Victoria, Queensland, and so on. So you want to check with your local state and find out what the laws are around it and make sure that you follow it. So when your builder presents you with a quote for the work, Before they charge that you pay the deposit, they need to get that insurance in place for you. It's not something that you can go and get. The builder actually secures that insurance. They charge you for it and they need to have that policy in place before they take your deposit. That's the law. And so once that's in place and you've paid for it, then the next step is to pay the deposit. Now, another thing that you need to do when you're working with a builder is make sure that you only pay the legally required deposit. Often they will front load their claims, okay, and they'll ask for more deposit than you're required to pay. And where that becomes a problem is when that, if that builder goes AWOL or goes broke and they have, you have paid in advance of the progress that they have done, then you're basically left short. So what you need to do is once again, go to your state and state online body. And in New South Wales, it is the Department of Fair Trading in Victoria, it's our Department of Consumer Affairs, and find out what the legal deposit is For the value of your contract. Okay, so it reduces the bigger the contract. So if you've got a contract for, say, 70,000, well, then the deposit will be a smaller percentage than if you've got a legal contract for 5,000, let's say. So, yeah, so make sure that you don't pay too much. The other thing is in the builder's contract, there will be progress payments. So at various stages through the renovation, you want to make sure that you're not overpaying in the, at those times in the project. If you're getting what's called a construction loan from the bank, then the bank that's how the bank will assess it. The bank will assess the value of the works at each stage of the project and not release the funds until the work has been done. So in some ways, getting a loan through the bank, a construction loan is a form of insurance. But if you finance it in another way where you have control over the money, you really need to make sure that you are looking after yourself. And so one more thing in terms of your input into the project, obviously you will need to make lots of decisions around colours, finishes, details in the project. And I would really recommend that you, if you're not feeling confident about it, that you engage a colour consultant to help you with the colours. It's not that expensive and you get it all over in one hit. Basically get the paint colours done, get the floor coverings, the colours chosen, the stone, the bench stone, get all that selected up front so that when your builder comes to need it, need that information, you've got it on hand to hand over and you're not holding up the work by taking too long to make those decisions. So managing that process is really around making decisions and making sure things that you are supplying are on site on time and you're not, you've not got people hanging around waiting for supplies to turn up. So the other thing that you need to do before you start is make sure that you are adequately insured. The house is adequately insured, in particular public liability. And so you want to get in touch with your insurance company and find out how they, their attitude towards renovations and whether your current insurance remains valid usually you're required to notify them in writing and so on so make sure that you're insured if you have a principal contractor as in a builder managing the whole build then you will want to check do due diligence on that person and check that they have the right insurances in place so that if something does go a bit pear-shaped on your project that you that everyone is covered and there are no nasty stories that come out of it Okay, so let's assume that the project follows, goes along quite nicely and is completed. Once it is complete, what you need to do is then go to your insurance company and increase the value of your building insurance to cover the new value of the home so that you are adequately covered. And then the last thing that you need to do is actually bring your agent back and get an appraisal. And you may even then bring a, get a bank valuation on the home so that you have documented the increase in the value of the home so that if you want to take that to the next step, then you have the information at your fingertips. Okay, so as I mentioned, I have a checklist or a cheat sheet for you if this applies to you, and I feel fairly certain it applies to everyone at some point in time then you can download that and help you and that will help you and guide you through the process. I hope this is helpful and I'd really love to get some feedback from you. Have you renovated your home? What issues did you encounter that could have been easily easily managed if you had have known or avoided? And also, if you have, what have you done with that additional equity? Okay, that's it me for today. I'll be back in two more weeks with a new topic and we'll advertise the topic a little bit earlier than we have this one. But otherwise, take care. If you want to meet up with a group of savvy renovating, I shouldn't say it's all women because it's not. Savvy renovators, I'll say come over and join She Renovates. It's completely it's free Facebook group and it is growing at the rate of knots. We hit a thousand members just recently and now it seems to have picked up momentum. And so they are all savvy renovating women and men that are working their little hearts out to live a better life through renovating. Join, if you're not already a member and then ask, comment, and do whatever you would like to do in order to further your renovation journey. And that's it for me today. So I'll see you next week. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.